I've been monitoring the Occupy movement for a while. Uh, I've been out here a few times, been on a few of the marches. Um, and one of the things I'm observing is that the success of any movement hinges largely on the public consent. Um, right now, we're a tiny fraction of public dissent. And so a lot of things happen to us while we're out there spreading our message of unity and of change and of real democracy. Uh, a lot of opposition from the powers that be. And one of the things I'm noticing is that the general public is apathetic. Granted, there's, there's scattered support there, but a lot of the injustices that happen to those who try to spread a message of truth are, uh, a lot of it's just shut down. You know, there's people getting pepper sprayed, you know, all these sorts of things. Occupy movements are getting shut down. I think this morning, San Francisco got shut down, something like that. Uh, and uh, I'm out there and I'm, I'm interacting with the people who are a little indifferent. And they're like, well, it serves them right. They're, they're, the occupiers are inconveniences. What do they have to do with me? Blah, 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 blah. And part of the, one of the things that I do and some of the people I collaborate with in New York have been, form, have been creating propaganda. Uh, propaganda in the forms of flyers and posters. Uh, teams of people that are on these news forums that are spreading our message and kind of like a counter, a counter media, a counter education. It has to happen. We go out there, we do our thing, we feel good, we sit up for right, yay for us. What was the end result? What was the ultimate result? Is the macro agenda being served? And so I think that there needs to be something going on here a little bit more than our individual accomplishments. What have we done long term? And some of the things I suggest is that, you know, I'm out there, I'm on the metro, I'm looking at, you know, stuff on the metro bus stands, I'm looking at Hugo Balls, Vibes, the world's going to end in two weeks, everything except the truth. And I think that we have an obligation to educate as much as we do protest. And I think that the two can't be separated. So to that end, I'd like to see, I mean, I think that we need to see more active public education. Here's why we're relevant. Here's why what we're saying is gonna affect you person driving by in your car, in your, in your Lexus. Everything's fine now, and so it seems, because you're being told that by the media. But plays in the park. I'm sure there are people with some rudiment of acting ability among us, sorry, thank you. And I think that maybe we should start educating the public through things that they enjoy, like public theater in the park. So. Uh, who else was on staff? Yeah. In my transit, I carry this sign that says, you are invited to Occupy. Some guy came up to me and said, Occupy, the other day. And my brother chased him down, and we started talking to him. And within like 30 seconds, he was apologizing, like, oh, I'm sorry, you guys are so cool. It's so much better than what I saw in the media. You know, like, why are you so nice? It's about love and all these things. Like, oh, I thought, it was, I thought you were just about breaking things. It's like, we want to break some things, but, you know. Um, <laughs> So I just really want to encourage you to like come out in whatever way it makes sense to you, like come out. Like so get involved, facilitate, get out there and show your love for the movement. What's your name? I'm Isaac. Isaac, my name's Brian. Brian, nice to yeah, meet you. Yeah, very good to meet you. Thank yeah. you for what you're doing here. Um, so do you want to ask me questions or, or how do you want to start this? Yeah, uh, we'll just start with you. And so uh, obviously the movement started um, on September 17th because of a call to action by Adbusters for the Culture Jammers and then Anonymous and other groups came on board. What was your uh, experience becoming aware of Occupy? Uh, what was the impetus for you to actually get involved? Okay. Um, I will say I think an Anonymous' involvement is a mis um, 
was actually sort of mythical. But um, so they they actually had very little. Um, I don't think they had anything to do with it. I think that was a misunderstanding. I thought that at first too. Okay. Um, but that was not the case. Okay. Um, I myself was actually at the tar sands, the protest against the Keystone Pipeline, um, which was going to be very bad for several of our neighbors in Nebraska and other places. Um, it was going to destroy people's land and do all these things. So I was at that protest, and there were a lot of people talking about these guys who were going to go pitch tents at the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and I thought that was such a wonderful idea because the banks have just absolutely robbed us. Um, the banks have destroyed our economy, got bailed out, and we're all paying the consequences, the people. And now we have a political environment where the, the, the big donors have more control over the political process than the people do, and that's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I just, I really love this country, you know, and, and I want to see it stay true to its spirit and to its ideals and really be as democratic as it can be the way our founding fathers intended. Um, and our found, you know, exact, what's going on today is, is precisely what our founding fathers warned us about, um, the control of government by moneyed interests. And so um, I knew that I should get, a, get involved right away. Um, I was doing some other things for a couple months. I had a job to do. Um, and I was uh, helpful as well because I was able to get a little bit of money together, um, you know, for a while. Uh, enough money to last me through the winter. But um, so I came down here as soon as that job was over. And why did you come here as opposed to going to New York or to any other smaller or larger place? You know, Washington D.C. is the power center of our nation, right here on K Street. This is where lobbyists uh, for big corporations, lobbyists for all the people who's who want to control the government. In lieu of the American people controlling the government, um, they govern our country from the five-star diners right here on K Street. Um, so this is the place to be. Mm. So when did you actually come down here and, and be part of the camp? Oh, just about two and a half weeks ago. I haven't been here too long. Okay. And uh, how, why do you think it is that, that um, after all of the con consorted effort by Homeland Security uh, to have the mayors... Um, have the police departments take down the Occupy camps. Why is it that you think D.C. has not been instructed to be taken down? Washington, D.C. has a long, rich tradition of people coming out and expressing their, uh, their, their passionate feelings about what's best for our country. Uh, that being the case, protests are just, you know, part of daily life here. And I think Washington, D.C., it's such an ingrained part of the culture that... Um, we're more welcome than okay. some other places. And another thing that's become uh, part of this movement is uh, uh, the attempted co-option by a number of different groups. Have you experienced much of that down here? Well, uh, groups that think they're going to be able to co-opt this thing are sorely mistaken. Um, it, the nature of the process here is that everybody here has to vote to agree on something before it gets passed, you know, before it is officially agreed to by this... Um, the occupation as a body. Um, oh, you know, everybody wants to, everybody sees a megaphone, and oh, I can push my own agenda, whether it's the unions or anybody else, but um, this is a wonderfully independent body, and uh, it's just the nature of the process that it's going to remain so. And it's, uh, So I'm, I'm aware of groups that maybe want to utilize the Occupy for their own interests, but uh, they're not going to get very far. Word. So you said you have enough money to last you through the winter here? And uh, I live Spartan. Right on. So, so what are you going to do uh, after the winter time? If you have enough money uh, collected at that point, will you stay longer? Do you have plans to move on afterward? Well, 
I'm going to do whatever is most effective for helping my country. If that means staying here, I'll stay here. Um, I will, of course, have to find work around D.C., uh, make some money. But uh, I do love to work, and I love to work hard. So, uh, it, you know, works works hard to come by, but when you're able to live on as little as I do, but completely independently, um, you know, I eat beans and grains, things that cost a dollar to a pound. Uh, 40 or 50 bucks gets me a month of food, which is, uh, you know, one of my few expenses. So um, I will be able to find the temp work that I need in D.C., doing good, honest labor, um, to stay here for as long as I need to. I will stay with the occupation as long as that seems to be the best thing that I can do. Right on. For my country and my world. What's been your experience with the police down here? Oh, boy, the police in Washington, D.C. have such respect for protest and such respect for Americans coming out to uh, do what they feel is right for their country. That They have just been absolutely accommodating, have not had one single problem. Right on. And actually, I've uh, had some really good conversations with them. I think we've mutually enjoyed it. Do you think you had a chance to actually connect with any of those police officers you had conversations with? I would say so. So just you were just guys being real, people being real. Absolutely, no, uh, no enmity. All right, no division. Um, human beings—they are a very much a part of the ninety-nine percent. And boy, uh, the police are facing some tough struggles right now, um, from just actually receiving the overtime pay that they are owed. Mm -hmm. uh, is actually a challenge for police officers sometimes, and that is unfortunate. That should not be the case. Um, you know, there's a there's a big push to abolish public unions in many places, and this is terrible. Um, so the police officers need a government responsive to its duties to the people just like we do. Um, we're all very much on the same page. Yeah. We are all the 99%, and the police seem to know this. One last thing, that is, uh, you know, I'm always trying to consider that there are people who, it seems in, in every avenue of life, there, there always seems to be people who need the world to make sense and if, if things start to disrupt that, then they go into a cognitive denial. And so when it comes to rural America experiencing Occupy strictly through TV screens, uh, I think they're a little harder to make budge, even though they are exactly the people you are here to represent. So We all are, yeah. So what do you, what do you have to say for, for John and Jane Doe who, who live in rural America and who really ha have not the greatest uh, opinion of what it is you're doing here. Well, you know, to my friends, I, I assume when you when you mention rural America, you're uh, mentioning that part of the country because maybe there aren't many occupations for them to see themselves, and that's why they have uh, the media is the source of information they have. Uh, whereas in the cities, there are occupations. I, I assume that's the, the only distinction being made. Um, a lot of the problems that have come to be associated with the occupations have very little to do with the protesters. We set up in a public space, and we are the 99%, so we're more than happy to feed, to shelter, to provide community for anybody who comes. Mm. This is a wonderful thing. Um, so we have a lot of people at all the occupations who come in from the streets, um, people who have really had a hard go of it. In fact, many who unfortunately have descended into perhaps loneliness or, or drug use or, you know, some of the things that come with homelessness and, and being, feeling shunned. A lot of the problems associated with the occupations 
um, whether we're talking about the public urination or we're talking about you know some of the violence and the drug use and these things. These are the problems that are coming in with the local homeless populations. Um, and it's better that those problems come here. The reason for that is if these problems happen out there, you know, some of these people will be violent at times. Some of these people, you know, they engage in the drug use and the destructive behaviors. But when they come here, there's a community to deal with it. And we do deal with it. We have a wonderful de-escalation committee that works to uh, mitigate conflict. And we're able to... So these people come here and they're able to be fed, strengthen their bodies and minds for a chance to really improve themselves and get a better lot in life. They're able to be uh, kept warm, sheltered, and most importantly, they're able to experience community, interaction, and feeling genuinely appreciated. So, uh, I ask the, the listeners not, not to pigeonhole us with what they've heard about these, you know, some of these problems, because uh, I, I, I genuinely feel that, that by feeding, sheltering, and especially caring for the homeless in all these cities, we're doing the Lord's work. And uh, for our movement to be seen in a bad light doesn't trouble me so much, but for the reason that a bad light is being cast upon us to be because we are doing such good work there, that's absolutely heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, and I, so I hope they'll consider the service we're doing. Uh, some of these folks who have come in from the streets who have been broken, uh, living a broken existence for a very long time, boy, when they come here and they're fed, cared for, and sheltered, and, and people show them sincere love and appreciation, some of these people, it has absolutely turned them around. And for the first time in years, they've found something that they believe in that makes them want to improve themselves, want to turn around, and want to become better people. I am seeing just such beautiful things happen uh, relating to that and uh, I also just really want everybody to understand that we are not a movement of the left we're not a movement of the right we are the American people coming together to have an open discussion about what our collective will is and how we the people can best become the ones who direct the governing process again and so, um, if you really want to learn about the occupations, I suggest just, just coming to one. Check out the General Assembly, talk to people, find out what's going on. And, and when you see, you know, somebody who's clearly has come in from the streets and it's not necessarily a part of the protests, don't, don't judge us by that and, and leave immediately, but really look around and find out for yourself what's going on. Right on. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Have you been here long? Uh, almost six weeks. Six weeks? Almost. Okay. Is this the only occupation that you've been at? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I live in Maryland, and I work in Maryland, so, you know, I, um, I go to work in the morning, and I come here afterwards, I sleep here, mm. get up and go to work from here. Right on. So, yeah, it's nice. I like it. So on a more um, just base level, I mean, how do, you, how do you handle things like cleaning and grooming? Uh, I go home. Fairly frequently. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty much it. There's a lot of trucks back home. Do you have? Do you guys do anything like those of you who live nearby who have residents here? Some of the other occupiers can come to your place and clean up too. Uh, well, I know there is some of that. Um, there's also unions that have opened their doors and welcomed people. Uh, so groups throughout the day go and do that. 
Um, they can take showers there, clean up, change, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, me personally, I mean, I look too far out. That's one of the reasons I started actually sleeping here was in order for me to get the last bus home at mm-hmm. night, I would have to leave around 8, which is when, well, GA ends around 8. Mm-hmm. So that would basically exclude me from participating in the other committees that we have and everything. So I basically had to start sleeping here if I was going to get more involved, which uh, after visiting a couple of times, I really felt in, felt drawn to, to the movement and wanted to participate on a higher level. Good. Yeah. Where do you find yourself spending most of your time here? I'm looking around at lots and lots of tarps, makeshift tents, actual tents, signs. Um, I mainly stay around here and check out different committees that are going on. And sometimes we'll go off-site for different committees. Because um, we want to get in and out of the cold and have some space to write and lay out papers and things like that. Mm. Do, you say, do you ever take shifts like at the information or the library centers? Um, I have not, no. Not personally. But, um, pretty much anything here, if you want to get involved with you know, the info tent or the food tent or medical or whatever, it's pretty much open to anybody with the inclination to do so. Um, you just go, basically ask them what needs to be done, and they'll get you up to speed, and then you participate at whatever level you feel comfortable with, and everybody kind of chips in what they can. So what do you feel like... What do you feel like... The greatest thing that you are getting out of this is, and, and what do you think you're adding to the movement? Um, I think personally, uh, I'm getting a lot from conversations that I have with people. Uh, there's kind of an evolution of thought that I'm undergoing myself, and I see in other people that as we bounce ideas off each other and tackle these really complex issues, we have a better understanding of them. and. Uh, better ability to articulate them to other people. So I think that's really important, just the kind of uh, communal growth of consciousness where it's really important. And um, I'm really like enjoying uh, some of the actions that we've done marching. That's my first time really protesting anything. Mm. Uh, even though I've been interested in politics for 10 years or more. Um, I've just never really felt like any other movement had the ability to enact any real change. And I think this is has the capability of affecting things on a real fundamental level. Well, I, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed, because you've been so, such a part of the movement, but yeah. it most definitely has changed the national dialogue. Yeah, I've noticed that to a certain extent. And even just... Um, WTOP, the local news radio station we have here, um, they started mentioning things that they would have never mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, there would have just been few reasons for them to bring up the many reports that are constantly coming out about income inequality. Mm-hmm. And now you hear that fairly regularly. A couple times a week, at least, they'll talk about it. So... It's, it's healthy. It's definitely moving the, the media narrative forward a little bit. Yeah. I witnessed that, too. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out. Sure. What was your sure. name? Marshall. Marshall. Isaac. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Yeah, pleasure talking with you, Marshall. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Thanks for representing me. Yeah, no problem. All right. Thank Take you. Take care.
Thank you. Ah, grazie, grazie. Ginger Dreadlocks, this one's for you, man. This next one's an original. It's called Nationalist. <laughs>
Muchas gracias. Let me know where I came from. How long have you been here? Uh, I've been here tonight just for two I songs so far, but I've been coming to this thing for like two weeks. Okay. Yeah, just on and off. It's good, you know, like Wait, occupiers don't tend to have a lot of money, but they bring a real good vibe and then people start dancing, pay attention, and then they attract people that are like, oh, there's fun happening here, you know? Yeah. Well, you're obviously talented. You've been Thank playing you. music for a long time, right? Uh, yeah, going on 13 years now. Okay. Yeah. Are you from D.C.? I'm from Columbia, Maryland, actually. All right. Um, but I've traveled all over. You know, I live up to the name Nomad because my name is John Thayer and with the other guy out there. All right. I have an alias, right? So I got this, like, globe-trotting sound. You know, it's kind of like a blend of all genres. Um, I'm typically a one-man band. I play through, like, uh, what's called an RC50 loop station, and I'll mm. mix all the songs at my feet. You know, obviously, it's too much equipment to just bring out the busker, so I've got, the, like, the amp and the guitar and the ukulele here today. What's powering that? Uh, six AA batteries. It's a uh, Roland Cube Street. Best investment I ever made. Right so, yeah, I've quit my day job. I'm doing this full-time. I make, on a good day, 20 an hour. Usually I can get, a, like, 10. Wow. Yeah, sleeping on the couch in my buddy's living room, so it's working. Not yeah. bad at all. Yeah, you know, putting it all together, trying to make ends meet. Well, it but, sounds like uh, I need to let you get back to it, but thank oh, you yeah. very much. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Oh, check out uh, ourstage.com slash nomad. Hello, everybody. Hello, world. <laughs> so you're part of the uh, staff Yes, here? I'm a participant, just like everyone else here, just like you are a participant here at Occupy DC, the occupation of McPherson Square here, international's capital of my hometown. Mm. So how long have you been a part of the Occupy DC movement? Well, I started uh, October 1st at the uh, old oak tree over there on the south side of the green. And, jeez, uh, it's been 57 days and it's felt, <laughs> it's felt like it. Um, I can only stay here Wednesdays and weekends, and I've been here since, like, midday Friday. So, you know, just my tour duty on the weekends. So mm. I've been having a blast, but it's a lot <laughs> it takes a lot of hands to pull something like this off so I'm very thankful for the people who are here mm. have you visited any of the other Occupy movements? Um, I have not actually although I pay attention to my most to my most favorite cities so you know Occupy New Orleans Occupy Memphis Occupy DMV DC Maryland Virginia so, so I do my best to keep in touch with all the occupations nationwide however uh there's a lot to see and do here, so I've been contenting myself with just seeing this. So, but as I've been making friends with people all over the country, I can't wait to go on the like nice little road trip and see them all. So, nice. What do you find yourself being pulled or drawn to the most as far as your role while you're here? Well, the inspiring people and stuff, and the, just the general feeling of empowerment. I mean, if you ask me what my demands are, um, I can't even tell you at this point. I mean, there's so many, you know. But this is our demand, just the, just keeping this up, just promoting something like this is already, like, that is it, you know? It's the end-all and be-all. There exists a structure and a culture here. Whereas if I try to say something like, I want X, I want Z, that is limited by the scope of what I've already imagined in my head of how to make the country better. When in reality, a structure in a system like this, I studied operations, research, and information engineering at Cornell, um, the reality is that there are non-linearities in the system we're dealing with, and, you know, together we could create something. Does it work? Does it work? I don't know. Is it plugged it's in? It's not plugged in. And together we could create something we haven't even imagined yet, you know. So I'm waiting for that day, and I'm glad you're not asking any dumb questions like, what drew you here in the first place? I mean, that's not a terribly terrible question, but, like, what is 
continued to keep me coming here. You know, I mean, it's like we could, everybody knows about income inequality. Everybody has their own reason. Everybody is inspired by the events at Tahrir Square and Zuccotti Park and all. But <laughs> this is my life now. For the past two months, this has been my life. So. And I like it, and it's the coolest people in the world. I'm here for the cute boys, but not really. <laughs> um, but uh, nothing. I mean, it's just I was born for this. In essence, we all were. So, mm, work. so, do you have any kind of uh, an idea of where you think we might be headed as a movement in the next? I mean, I'm an engineer, so everything I've come up with is very practical. Are people here fed? Are people here slept warmly? Are people here feeling like they have a friend around, you know? How's our security situation? I mean, it's like, hopefully we're like the pocket for the quarterback, and the quarterback are the people who are actually have the connections on K Street, on Capitol Hill, in local government to affect change. But... You know, as much as I'm okay with Obama, I mean, I voted for him, I'll vote for him again, but if he's not chopping carrots in the kitchen, then he's kind of irrelevant to this entire operation, you know? So as an engineer, my concerns are very prosaic. It's like, I happen to like being at the welcome tent, and I like giving tours and stuff, but that is a function of the organ that is the information tent, which is, do we have an infrastructure that handles the influx of tourists that we see on weekends? or whatever, right? I mean, it wasn't even my idea to come up with the information tent. I just started sitting here and, you know, and you got to have a home somewhere around here, so. Well, could I ask you a more challenging question? Sure. You mentioned that you, support, that you voted for Obama, you'll probably vote for him again. Why sure. would you do that? That's a great question. Because whether I do or not, I live in Maryland, so. <laughs> the votes are going to him anyway. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, you call me a political neophyte for saying that, you know, uh, it's not the man who's in office, it's the office itself that's the most flawed, you know, and, and from the field of viable candidates, and it's an easy choice for me to say, well, you know, perhaps I'm at the point now where I say Obama's the most, the least, the least odious choice, right? But the presidency and my vote for the presidency matters, but not as much as the things I do here on the square, you know, like... As flippant as I am to say that I'll vote for Obama again is almost a protest against the idea that the president can do very much at all, you know? Well, if that's the case, why would you not vote for someone that actually represents your views? Well, you know, I am sort of center-left, so he's not center-left anymore. I don't, I don't even know. I mean, uh, electoral politics for me is so much less sexy than what we're doing here. Like, electoral politics, you know... And this is back in 2008, you know, I loved reading 538, you know, the blog and the polling and, you know, I'm a numbers guy and that stuff's very exciting for me and all, but, like, electoral politics of, is it going to be a Democrat in the, you know, I mean, like, for the three years that all this has been happening, you know, that's the one thing in my political life that I've been trying to pay attention to is, like, oh, is the 26th district in New York going to be Republican or Democrat? And all of a sudden, I don't care anymore. Right. Not that I don't care, not that it's important, but... But it's not this, you know what I mean? Like Congress is—I've heard some very great, very great, very dirty adjectives for for calcified. I think was another good one. I mean, the Congress is already pretty calcified, so forget about them. You know what I mean? Like, and not only that, you know, as much of a supporter I am for congressional rep voting representation for the District of Columbia, Chris Van Hollen is my representative, and he's a very powerful representative. However, he's getting all his money from Bethesda and Chevy Chase when I'm on the other side of the county. Whatever, right? I've been to a political fundraiser. I met 
the senator, you know, one of the senators from Maryland. I've gotten my put my name on the email lists. I've handed out flyers for local government. The dude didn't pay me, and he she lost, and I'm happy she did. So you know, like, like, like is 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 that how we as a society will define what it means to be a political person in this world? Uh, I would be very disappointed to wake up in a country where people decide, all right, if you're if you're not as corporatized, if you're not a corporatized candidate, and not in the specific sense, but in the very like. You know, I'm gonna wear a suit and tie and be polished and, and all of that. In that sense, then, you know, you see what we're seeing today, where we've got a very small number of people making decisions for this country. And as an engineer, I know mathematically that uh, that is not the robust. That is not call for a robust organism. If 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 you you know, what I mean, if, if we decide that only a, people who look a certain way, and this isn't even race anymore, right? Because you can have corporate, you know, people who are like black or Indian or whatever, right? men or women or whatever, right? But, you know, I went to an Ivy League school and as much as I cherish the ed education there, you know, I'm so much happier that I was born to be a tour guide here than a tour guide in, in Ithaca, you know, where, you know, if I'm not dressed a certain way, if I'm not in the right frat house, if I'm not in the right this or that, or if I don't comport myself in a way that doesn't spook them, then my, my, my voice matters. And these, elect you know, these electoral um, exercises, as much as, you know, I'm... American, I love it. I like the system's all right with me and all, but it's really not. You know what I mean? Like electoral politics is just so much less scintillating than the things that we're doing here. Well, and ultimately, isn't the reason that we all participate in that system anyway is to try to achieve what you guys are doing right here? You know, like if you ask the founding fathers, I swear that they'd be on our side. It'd be that simple. You know, I just, I just feel their spirit. You know, I mean, I subscribe to a pattern of history where. You know, these there's only really four kinds of generations, and they repeat, for the most part, you know, every 80 years. And so I really, I really feel a kinship with the people who fought in World War, in, in World War II, and the people who fought in the Revolutionary War. You know, we were born into a time of cultural unraveling and culture war, and we've coming up, we're coming of age now in a secular crisis, as opposed to the boomers who grew up in a spiritual awakening, and. Um, I'm, I have, you know, another five, ten years or whatever, we'll be having a nice, bland 50s culture until our kids grow up and tell us that we're wrong. In lieu of that, you know, I feel a solidarity with the generations of history from the time that they were born, we're bound for glory, and I believe ours is as well. This is the great millennial awakening. The millennials, the largest generation born in American history. So, I mean, that's part of it too. I just feel like, you know, everybody was born the right year to be in the right place in the right time. And that's why I think it's a very silly question for somebody to come up with me and be like, well, why did you, you know, what reasons did you join? And I'm like, well, I'm tired of those dumb questions. It's like a dumb question like, who are you gonna vote for for president or what's your demand? Not to, not to you know, dismiss the people who, who ask those questions or who are framing this in that way, but you know, if you're really on the ground level here, if you're really here in person, because, you know, I love you guys, I love public radio, but or community radio, I love that very, very much, but if, if you're not, no tweet, no Facebook post, no mainstream media, uh, mainstream media, you know, coverage, no anything, nothing in the world will replace the feeling of being right here on this square, nothing in the world, so, you know, and I just, there's a allure 
that comes with playing for the winning team. Like, why are people Green Bay supporters? Because they were kind of born into it, or they're from Wisconsin, or because, you know, they're really into Aaron Rodgers, or, you know, I know this is Philadelphia, or Pittsburgh, or Pennsylvania, right? So, you know, uh, I'm going to say Penn State, not because of what happened recently, but, like, why do people feel such an affinity for the Penn State program, whether it's the education or the football team? It's because maybe their mom and dad's were Nittany Lions supporters. Maybe it was, you know, maybe they grew up wanting to be playing for the team, you know. Maybe they like the coach, maybe they like the team, or maybe they like the history or the legend, or maybe by virtue of the fact that they got into Penn State and got caught up in it, you know, after a few games. Like, like, like why do people pick the sports teams that they do? And ultimately, one very easy way to pick a good sports team to root for is a winning one. And I'm here to tell everybody here in Radio Land that we are the winning team. Now, what's going to happen to the losing team? Now, I hope that it's like, you know, it should be a fair, humane, whatever, and it should be good sportsmanship, and we're not going to spike in their end field, uh, you know, more than once, but we're on the winning team. I mean, I can't say that over and over again, you know. I, I, everybody here, you know, given every, given all the dramatics and all the terrible pictures coming out from everywhere, you look at the square here and, you know, everybody's got a smile on their face and everybody's looking tired and everybody knows one another and everybody's feeling good because we're playing for the winning team. For me, it's that simple. So I guess a closing comment then, come on down, come on down, come on down. My name is Ryan, I help out the information tent. Please feel very warm and welcome here in my hometown, Washington, D.C., and its occupation of McPherson Square. Thank you, brother. Thank you, pal. Yeah, I appreciate it. So what do we have here? Uh, this is going to be our tea house. So we'll have 24-7 hot water and tea for people so that when we're sick, we're freezing our ass off out here. We can have hot water. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, the winter is coming up. Well, I'm from Denver, so I've been told that our winters are worse in Denver than here. I'm not really sure if that's true. And I've never spent the night outside mm. when it's 12 degrees outside, so I don't know. Um, I think hot water will go a long way, keeping people warm, and hopefully we'll have, we have a sustainability committee where we're in a winterizing committee, committee as well, so hopefully we'll be able to like address those issues. I don't know if you noticed, but pods have popped up. This is a great way to keep warm. Inside, like this is my pod here, inside it's covered in hay and it's lined with hay around the tents too. So that if you go inside there, it's a lot warmer than on the outside. Okay. It's almost warm enough that you don't need covers on, I mean, just with body heat. But then when you go in your tent, you're even warmer because it's like lined with hay. Um, not everyone's doing that, but that's one model. There's different models. Different people have their own uh, ways of keeping warm, but that's one way. So okay. I don't know because we'll see when it actually gets that cold what right. happens. I don't know. If, I've never spent outside that cold. So Though I think layers and layers of clothing, hot tea, and cuddling probably going to be the way to keep warm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there, have you seen anyone with um, solar devices? Um, yeah, we are working on solar heaters, actually. I don't, um, the sustainability committee is working on that. Um, I don't really know much about that, but I do know that they are working on solar heaters. That obviously, if there's like days on end of rain, is going to be an issue. We have talked about using propane, but that's even more illegal, and that's one thing the cops said they won't put up with. Um, they will raid, so... If we do do propane, it'll be on the DL. Okay. Um, yeah, that's about all I have on that. But. Sure. And so, <laughs> so far, no 
No concerns about the cops coming in and tearing everything down? That's a concern all the time. We get told we're going to get raided all the time, and so far it hasn't happened. I think partly because it's an election year, Obama like doesn't want that on his, you know. I think we're in a weird place here in D.C. Um, because of that, and also we're in a federal park. So it directly would come from Obama because it's not a city issue, it's a federal issue. Mm. I think in a weird way that saved our asses. <laughs> yeah. um, um, so yeah, I don't think, the only thing that, the only possibility is if we do have like a disease breakout, that will be like a tuberculosis outbreak or something like that, which there's a clinic that comes around and tests people and we have a medic tent and we have a dental tent too. Wow. We have a, a dentist who comes and does uh, free dental work and stuff. And if it's something major, she'll take you back to your office to do it. So, That's awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. So, um, yeah. What were you doing before Occupy happened? I'm a hairdresser. That's what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and actually, I've been cutting hair in the park, and we're about to build a barber tent for me. So. Awesome. So, was this, like, when you see yourself now as, as a part of Occupy, and you look back at yourself before Occupy happened, do you just see yourself as the same person, but in a, in a in a different situation, or has it changed you? Oh, it's. I think it's changed me for sure. It's definitely stretched my emotional and mental parameters as a as an individual. Um, plus, I learned a lot about politics. I thought I knew a lot, and then I came here and realized I didn't know anything about politics. So, um, I've learned a lot just and about unions and just about how things run in general. It's been a real education being here mm. on many levels. On many levels, yeah. It's definitely expanded my horizons. Mm. Great. Where can I? Where can I go? Go grab a, something to drink. Water, tea, anything. I know you're setting up a tea thing. You mean so. in town? Like right now here. Right in here. Um, there's a drinking fountain where I get all of my water from, which they're gonna turn off in a week. So that's another issue because it, the pipes freeze. So I don't know. We're working on a way to get water delivered here mm -hmm. every week. Well, that's that's doable, right? I mean, because, I think so. Because occupy the website. You guys. You get tons of we donations. get Twitter needs. Yeah, we Twitter our needs, and whatever we need usually gets delivered here. And water is like an essential, like so. I'm sure that's not going to be an issue. What might be an issue is it might be more inconvenient, like when you want to brush your teeth or something, like or wash your hands. That's going to be more of an issue. We'll figure something out. We always do. Um, also, they use they have been setting up hot water, and like you can get coffee and tea, but it's sporadic. So that's why we're trying to make this happen, so that no matter what, you can get hot. water. Water and okay. Stuff like that. Great. Sorry. And how about you? What have you been doing with the, the Occupy movement? Uh, oh, well, I'm a sleeper. I've been sleeping here probably since October 8th. I think is when I came here. Hey. Well, yeah, I came here from Chicago. Um, mainly, what I've, um, I'm not really active in any committees right now. I was trying to get active in the uh, legal team, and okay. I was helping. Occupy has two seats, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was like getting active with the legal committee to like try and teach people know your rights, uh, legal observation, and all that, and street teaming. Uh, so that's kind of more what I've been involved with. <laughs> but yeah, most, for the most part, uh, I've just been participating in a lot of the marches and everything and helping out. And mainly, I guess, with legal observation, I mean, I usually carry a sign and a pen. Like, I carry just one of the regular signs, and then I always write down the officers' names and badge numbers in case anything happens, usually. Were you a part of Occupy Chicago before you came here? No, I was not. I wished I had a chance to go visit them, but I haven't had the time to. So I probably will for Christmas, and hopefully, because I have to go back to Chinatown for Christmas, so 
I'm hoping to go back down and just spend uh, Christmas there with Occupy Chicago. This seems to be one of the uh, one of the, the few major city occupies movements that are still intact. Yeah, we have never been raided yet, which is probably a big reason why it's still intact and it just keeps growing. We actually have two locations. I mean, it's here in Freedom Plaza, though we start out separately, um, and we got like different forms of our society, I guess. Right. So like, just think of these low communities, low colonies. Our societies are different, and our governmental structure is different. We're more horizontal, with like leaderless. It's just participatory mainly on your own. Whereas they have leaders up at Freedom Plaza, and they have people that like kind of run the show and start it all. And like they already planned all the stuff already beforehand. Whereas we kind of built our own community here. We didn't come here with any plans. It's just it's slowly it slowly grew on its own, and slowly more and more as more and more people came, we built this stuff together. We built a community together. Whereas Freedom Plaza didn't really have that. May was already kind of built for them. Yeah. yeah. Freedom Plaza had like a steering committee of 50 people that were paid to start that, that movement. It was it was like it was like um, professional activists who started that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the thing is, they're like all of the people at Freedom Plaza. They're older. They've known each other for years, and they've done a lot of the protests and pro like anti-war protests and all that for years. Whereas here. A lot of people, you ask them how many protests, this is for the people sleeping here, if you ask them how many protests have you been to before this, it's their first time. This occupying is their first protest. It's the first time they've ever done this. And it's just because we're just so involved into the movement, it's not like a hobby or anything. It's because we're actually, we want something to get done. We want change. And, you know, Obama came in in 08. He promised, like, hope and change. But we can't rely on someone to bring us change. We have to do it ourselves. And that's what, why we're here. Looking back on the 08 election, um, just looking at it realistically, you have a corporate candidate who received the most amount of money in history uh, in his campaign, won an award from a company that beating, he beat out uh, Nike, Coors, Apple in the process. Uh, so a very, very corporate candidate to the T. But his policy and his rhetoric, not congruent to one another, but people seem to believe in the rhetoric. Do you think that anyone has learned from that since no. that time? Um, I think... Um, well, I guess they learned that you can't trust, well, at least for me, I, me personally, I've learned you can't trust politics, you can't trust the, you cannot trust politicians, if you actually want something to get done, you have to do it yourself, you cannot rely on anyone else to do it for you, you cannot rely on a single person, or Obama, for instance, to say, end the wars on his own, we, he can't do that, we have to push for it, we have to be the motivation to stop it, we can't rely on someone else to do it for us, even if he is the president, we can't rely on him, he's not doesn't do anything. So do you think maybe uh, there was an element of naivete and assuming that electing this certain Democrat that everything would change and then having reality kind of crash down has made everyone a little bit more ang uh, angst-filled and a little bit more desirous of change? I think it has for the youth people here because like the young people were the ones who mainly like vote for Obama had their hopes in him because we didn't trust you know a lot of other politicians but we didn't trust Bush, we don't trust a lot of other congressmen, but he like brought us hope and then it just kind of all came crashing down, you know. You get your hopes built up and built up and then it's just reality check and nothing right. happens. Nothing that he promised for, nothing came. So do you find yourself uh, staying staying aware of politics now or do you find yourself just, just disengaging from it and doing the actual work of democracy here? Um, I was very engaged. I was more active in learning about politics before I came here just because of the internet. But since I came here, I haven't had internet access at all. So I've kind of just been reading the newspaper and mainly just reading the newspapers, I guess, is all I've gotten just from word of mouth. 
is the only politics I get, but here I've been probably more engaged into the community and community building here as well. We're trying to keep the occupation going. I mean, I know why I'm here, and that's what keeps me motivated. I know why I'm here. It's the corporate corruption, corporate greed. It's because um, our politics are based, are bought off. We, when people do not have a say in what goes on in our country. Only the people with money do. And we need a system. We need a new system where money doesn't talk, people talk. And that's why I'm here. What's your name? I'm Adrian. Adrian. I'm Isaac. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. What was your name? Annika. Annika. Isaac. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you for talking. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you. I'm Isaac. Okay, I'm Doug Stewart, man. Doug. From the state of Ohio, no, man. No. I'm gonna ignore you because you know I gotta get my plug in. Yeah, man. I'm from I'm from the state of Ohio. And I was the best athlete in Ohio at one time. I got burned, kicked gasoline that was on fire by another black kid when I was eight years old and he was 14. He did it because he couldn't beat me up. He could still beat my older brother up, but he couldn't beat me up. And this is a majorly white community, white side of Ohio, where they had many white friends, lived with, we socialized, with no racism amongst me and the children. But a lot of the adults I didn't know that were white were racist. And all the bad black people that I knew didn't mess around with the good church people because we fought the black people, the bad black people. But they didn't fight the racist white people. What part of Ohio was this? Right outside of Columbus. Okay. Ohio State Buckeyes, outside of Columbus. So, after I got burned by fire, I grew up being the strongest man in the state of Ohio. I played football with Art Sleaster, who quarterback for the Baltimore Colts. They changed into the Indianapolis Colts. He was still their quarterback until he got kicked out with a million-dollar gambling habit. But my problem was I was the best athlete. I got burned. I trained harder than the kids. I was whooping men at 14, really 12, but at 14 I was dominating. My father died right before my 14th birthday, so I had, was on my own. But Republican law enforcement that I had to whoop, whooped all the blacks, all the whites, everybody. Everybody bad, I whooped. So the Republican law enforcement didn't like it because I was out of control. They couldn't control me, and I wanted to be rich. So they put me in prison for 12 years on nonviolent lies to stop me from being a rich man. And I've been telling America ever since I've been out, right before George Bush got elected. I called 911 during the George Bush uh, a presidential. I called, a, I didn't call the White House because I knew he didn't care. And I called 911, the FBI. And then when Obama got in, I've been calling the White House comment line. And these boys here got mad because I kept calling the White House and the operator said I'm talking mean to them. The Secret Service. They called me up on one of my phones and I told them my story. But before they got a chance to talk to the guy that called me up, this, this guy came out, James Lawson. And then another two guys came out, John Van Horn and Brian Bliss. And they all want to talk to me, but they missed me. So they left their cards. They made a big mistake because I'm a tough man. Could have been a Hall of Famer. I was the best in tennis, basketball, football, and I was a pitcher in baseball. Pitch no hitters. So I was bad. And I could fight. Fight anybody. I'm still tough. Like George Foreman right now. But I ain't getting no publicity because once people find out who I am, they shut me down. They don't want to talk to me at all. If I get near them, they'll shoot me, but they ain't going to talk to me and let me go to court.
And that's my story. Doug Stewart in Occupy DC. Part of the protest is to get the millionaire evil people and also stop their evil law enforcement in America wherever I can. And Ohio started it with me. That's why I'm on Ohio. All right. So how long are you going to hang out here? Oh, I've been out here for about a month and a half. You going to stick around for a while? Oh, yeah. I'm going to stick around. And plus, my protest is never going to stop until I get an investigation like Penn State, mm -hmm. like the Catholics in the church. You know, the Catholics are going to the International Criminal Court because they're not satisfied with money. They want to catch some of the people who actually covered up the crimes for the criminals. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because what's wrong is wrong. You don't cover up criminals. Mm -hmm. You get them to repent, atone, do something to say they're sorry. Not just pay some money and then do it to somebody else that you don't catch them this time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's the way America's been operating. You mentioned holding criminals accountable. Obama has made a point of saying, we don't need to look back, we need to look forward. <laughs> Well, you know, when he first started, right, this is to show you why they call him a lap dog. He first started, he said, there was no Al-Qaeda before George Bush and Dick Cheney said there was an Al-Qaeda. Now what's he saying? Everything they want him to say. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to hold the torturers accountable because they were only doing their job. We don't want to hold nobody accountable for committing atrocities. I mean, you can be Charles Mansell's people. You're going to hold them accountable? Why aren't you holding them accountable? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then, who do they want to hold accountable? The 22-year-old kid in prison for telling the truth on him. Mm -hmm. They don't want to let him out. They don't want to do... All they want him to do is die. It's a good thing he's a rich kid because he's probably already be dead. Mm -hmm. They probably said he would have committed suicide or something. You know what I mean? That's yeah. horrible. Mm -hmm. And I'm pressing them for the release of that kid. They didn't save Troy Davis, they can save the kid. Bradley Manning's a hero. Yeah, he didn't kill nobody. He just told the truth. You don't want him in the, in the Army or the, the uh, services, it's like don't ask, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Get rid of him. Mm -hmm. But don't punish him to death. Right. That's wrong. And we should stand up for that, as well as every other victim. Like I have this thing from the victim, Victims of Crimes uh, organization. Every victim has a crime. No, I mean, every crime has a victim, and every victim deserves our help. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I don't know how Obama and these Republicans and Democrats are sidestepping the pain of victims. But that's horrible. It's immoral. Well, you know, that they're not you and me. I mean, these, these, these are a very far-removed class of individuals that have found ways to jump over hurdles and get through the hoops that they've been told to jump through in order to get in the positions they're in. Well, I hear you, but... They got to understand one thing. They didn't create this world. Mm -hmm. And things is not going to be looking good for them soon because 99 to 1%, it don't look good. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? They can mm -hmm. do what they can to try to evade justice. Mm -hmm. But 99% to 1%, they're going to get God. Yep. Name's Doug Stewart, and I'm looking for him to get God. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Thank you, Doug. Okay, man. Yeah. Thanks for keeping up the good work, man. Hey, man, that's what I got to do. Like I say, I'm a multiracial man. I'm part white, part Indian, and part black. Mm -hmm. And all my friends will tell you from day one, and it wasn't about your color, because I used to sleep over white kids' house. They used to sleep over my house. It's about your character. Mm -hmm. If you're decent, respectable, you're all right. You're a bully, you're bad, you got a problem. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. the way I've lived my whole life. Right on, brother. Thank you. Okay, man. All right. All right, and what's your name? 
Diana. Diana, what's been your experience uh, here at Starbucks with the Occupy movement? Have they been using the bathroom? What's their demeanor um, been like? Well, we really haven't been having that kind of issue here, quite honestly. I mean, everybody's friendly for the most part that I've seen, and they're very cooperative, so all right. it all balances out. 